You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. So Mark chapter 3, we'll be wrapping up the chapter this morning. One more time before we, we start, let's, let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we come before you with humble hearts, knowing that we need, we need your word. We need your word to speak into the, the deepest parts of our hearts, Lord. The parts that nobody sees, the part that... We may not even fully understand ourselves, Lord. We ask that you would be speaking to the cares of our hearts and the the pains in our hearts and just the different weights that we carry throughout our life. So, Lord, we enter into this moment and we, we hold it as sacred. As many of us read your scriptures and we have our own devotional lives, but this is a time where... You speak to us as a community and as a group. And so, Father, may we come with open hands and open hearts, ready to receive from you. So we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not able to even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Bezelzebub, or by Bezelzebub, that by the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Verse 26. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 30, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Mark 3, verses uh, 20 through 35. Word of the Lord. What makes me chuckle when I read this story is Jesus' family. There's a lot of heavy stuff going on in this story, so there's not a lot of chuckling going on. But the, the initial part is very interesting to me. Because if we just picture it in our, in our mind, 
This house is packed with people. So much to the point that the Jesus and the disciples can't eat. Like, I've been to some, some pretty wild parties in my life, in some pretty packed houses. I've never been to the point where I cannot get something into my mouth <laughs> and, like, sit and eat with someone. So there's, there's a lot going on in this home. And what makes me chuckle about this is the way that Jesus' family comes up. It says that they're going to come up and they're going to take charge of him. And I just have this picture of a mom, like, coming in and kind of grabbing, you know, a little boy. Just being like, hey, what are you, where are you going? Uh, you know, and when I read this, I have this image of my, in my mind of this idea of putting someone in their place. So Jesus' mom, his brothers, his sisters, they're all ready to roll up and tell Jesus what's up. Because they think that he's lost his mind. And if you're like me, we can read this story and be like, oh, they're so silly. Like, why would they think that? Or you think something much meaner than that. But why did they think this? It could have been for a variety of reasons. They could have been worried about how these crowds brought fame and popularity and attention to Jesus and how he ultimately was going to lead to his head and how dangerous the power of being a celebrity is and having that much uh, attention on you all the time. Or it could be the fact that he left a prosperous business as a carpenter that was well proven in the community that he was raised in to become an itinerant preacher. Or it could be that both the religious and political leaders were plotting to murder him, and it did not seem to slow him down at all. If anything, it seems to push him forward on what he's there to do and the things that he is saying. They saw that his ministry was demanding, that it was heavy, that it, there was this weight to it, to the point that him and his disciples, they're not able to eat and so we can look at this and be like, and kind of criticize the family in this moment. But I think what's important is to remember, like, this is Jesus' mom. This is Jesus' brothers, his sisters. In the Greek, it actually carries this idea of, like, his close friends that he grew up with. They're there because they care for him. And I'm sure all of these things are going on, all these things are going on in their minds and probably coming out of their mouth. They're probably saying inside of themselves, he's too busy. He has too much on his plate. He can't help all these people. His life was better as a carpenter. But what all this really illustrates in this moment, and it's not really different today, unfortunately, is that they, they misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood Jesus' purpose. And if you think about this idea of being misunderstood, there's probably nothing more uh, frustrating than being misunderstood. When you have noble or good intentions and people are challenging them, thinking that you have selfish ambition. And so he was misunderstood then in this day by his own family and his own friends and he's on honestly today he's still often misunderstood because in Jesus's day the hope of the Messiah this 
this coming one, the one that the Jews were waiting for, that they prayed for, that they longed for, they longed for a freedom from the Romans who kept them under their thumb from being able to worship freely because Israel wasn't its own state at this point. They longed for the world to be put back in order, but they also longed to, for power. And so the Jews in that day, they pictured a Messiah who would, would establish his reign through power and domination. His own disciples asked Jesus this because they're kind of walking with him like, all right, you're being patient, you're being good, you're like, you know, we're taking care of all these people. But they're like, when's it coming? When's the hammer going to fall? And they ask him, is it now that you're going to overthrow the Romans and establish your earthly kingdom? But this wasn't the focus of his ministry. An earthly kingdom wasn't the end game. And it's amazing to me because when I think about what we look like in the West, here in the West in the United States, there is the same spirit alive and well in the church. Big C Church, where there's this strong pull towards Christian nationalism, which is no different than the, the vision that the Jews wanted back in their day. They wanted their God to protect their values, but Jesus didn't do it in that day. In reality, he showed them their hypocrisy. He showed them their own hearts. He challenged their values and showed them how they were actually really shallow in their approach to them. And he would drive them deeper. Jesus didn't, didn't care about Israel at that point being a Jewish nation as much as he doesn't care about America becoming a Christian nation. Which is really interesting to, to be saying. Because when I've come into the church, when I came into the church, one of the things that always has really struck me is how we, we are very patriotic. And I believe in being patriotic. And I believe in the United States, and I'm thankful that I am a citizen of the United States. But Jesus cares for the hearts of the individuals in the nation, the stories of the people in the cities, in our neighborhoods, in our community, more than the, than the, the massive collective group as a nation. Because what Jesus is after is the individual's heart mind and soul. Another way that we misunderstand him is when we look at his words and the words that he spoke, and, well, and if we're honest, we take them with a grain of salt because most of us probably don't want to say it, but we see his words as, as just a mere suggestion rather than an actual command to be followed and a way for us to live. Like in the closing words after teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he says, for you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive you of your sins. And we may respond, but Jesus, if you knew this person, you would know that they're toxic. That all they do is, and all they're trying to do is to bring hurt. But in reality, as followers of Jesus, we are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. And the question I'd ask you is, how have you been forgiven? Freely, without expectation. 
And so we are to forgive as a forgiven people. And you can apply this to what he spoke on lust, greed, hate, anxiety. You can talk about all those things that are covered in the Sermon on the Mount. And the question I would ask is, do we hear his words and allow them to simply soak into our soul? Because Jesus was misunderstood by those that were close to him. But he also had people who were fully opposed to him. That challenged him in those things. And they misunderstood Jesus' power. Where the scribes who were well-respected religious leaders who had, you know, met Jesus on this journey to hear this rabbi and see what he's about. And in their summary, the summary that they make is they make this claim that he's possessed. But he's not just possessed by any demon. He's actually possessed by Satan himself. And that the only way that he's able to do the things that he's doing in the mind of these scribes is by the power of Satan himself. Because in the scribes' mind, Jesus was actually something to be feared. He was doing something that they couldn't explain. And they definitely didn't understand. But for us, if we're looking at Jesus and we look at this story and we look at the history of who he's been... Satan's entire goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Why would he send a man who would undo the work that he had begun? And Jesus is bringing this, when we look at what Jesus brings, he brings truth and life and freedom to those that he's interacting with. Some think of this and they try to justify it in their minds like Satan is trying to distract and take people off course. And that this is the actual method. But if we really look at this in context of what's been going on, if we look at just the book of Mark and how it's playing out, Jesus isn't walking into a random house and healing one person here and one person there. He has entire towns gathering around him to be healed by him. Jesus wasn't just healing one or two. He's in seeing these entire towns healed. So Jesus' parable begins to make more sense to us. Where he's saying, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Because with this, Jesus is answering the charge that he was in league with the devil. But he's saying, I'm not understating. Instead, I'm proving to you that I'm stronger than he is. Unless he first binds the strong man in this parable. You know, in this parable, Satan is the strong man who guards what belongs to him. And Jesus' ministry was defeating the strong man. Both in, both in the case of casting out the demon out of the man who was mute, and also in the broader sense of the things that he was doing as he was walking around. Because there's nothing in our life that must stay under Satan's domination. Because the one who binds the strong man will plunder his house. And that person is Jesus. That's the one that will do it. And so when we look at this moment where Jesus is being misunderstood by his family, he's being misunderstood by the religious leaders and the religious community, the weight of this moment is heavy. Because instead of seeing the good and marveling at this work of God that's happening in their midst, 
instead of amazement and wonder, the scribes are looking at this work and they're calling it the work of the devil himself. And this is where Jesus begins to walk through this thing of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot, a lot of books written on this topic. And I'm not going to give a fully comprehensible or a deep dive into this topic today, this morning. But Jesus is warning these religious leaders of this because he's caught, because they're challenging the very work of God. I like the way an old pastor, H.A. Ironside, said, he said, these words were never intended to torment anxious souls honestly desiring to know Christ. But they stand out as a blazing beacon warning of the danger of the persisting in the rejection of the Spirit's testimony of Christ until the seared conscience is no longer, no longer responds to the gospel's message. The scribes were showing up, but they were showing up with the mentality of being ready to reject God's work before their eyes. His words were in their ears. Their hearts had become hard and unwilling to allow anything in. And so if we take a moment and we pause, we just reflect on our own life and our own story. The question I have for you is, are you resisting the work of God in your life? And I'd ask you why. There could be a variety of reasons. You could be in the same place as Jesus was. Maybe you have family members that challenge you not to do the things that you feel like you're supposed to do. Maybe you have friends that are, have a lot of weight and their opinion really sways you. Maybe there's people that are actively challenging you and oppressing you from what you're trying to do. So I would ask you, as followers of Jesus, our desire is to become more like him and to, to look like him and to walk like him. The thing that's amazing to me is that Jesus doesn't allow these things to stop him. Instead, he continues forward and presses on. And I want to encourage you to, to press on and to move forward. So how are you responding when Jesus calls to you? Are you responding with a here I am? Or is it a response where it's a reason on why you can't follow his call? I think the thing that I would actually say that stops most of us, if we're honest, about when we've, why we don't do the things that God calls us to do. It's really simple. Fear. I don't know what how this is going to turn out. I don't know what the future holds. And if that's you, if you're feeling that weight and that fear, I want to invite you to, to rest in what Jesus promises you. 
He tells you not to worry about tomorrow, but just to live in today. Today has enough trouble for itself, but the beauty of what Jesus is actually encouraging us in that moment is he's saying, I want you to be present. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. God will take care of you. be present. Don't fear. Don't run from the call of God. And the last thing we see with, with, with this, with the people is they misunderstood Jesus' invitation. Jesus' family arrives. They're back on the scene and they're trying to get a hold of Jesus and get his attention. So the crowds tell him, hey, your family's here. They're, out, they're outside. You've got to go talk to them. They're, they're, you know, they really want to connect with you. And Jesus' response seems strange and, and pretty offensive, if we're honest. Because it looks like Jesus is just blowing them off. Like, he's like, I don't care if they're my family. You're like, whoa. And that's kind of the way this passage gets used a lot of the times, unfortunately, is it is used as almost a way to kind of kick your family to the side, which I don't believe is the heart that is trying to be referenced here. But Jesus is using this as an, as an opportunity to show a truth and a lesson. Because what is Jesus actually doing in this moment? He's not actually dismissing his other family. If anything, he's inviting those that are in this room into his family. Because for the Jews, your bloodline was incredibly important. It was the main thing that made you a true Jew. But Jesus is essentially kind of ignoring his bloodline in this moment with his mom and his brother seeking his attention. And instead, he's giving his attention to these people that are hanging on his every word, that are pressed in, desiring healing and an experience, and to see who this man is and what he is all about, to hear what this rabbi is finally showing to everybody. And when you think of the family of God, many times you think of those that are super religious, those that read their Bible and know their Bible, those that pray often, those that serve and do good things. But Jesus is openly correcting the scribes who knew the word of God, who did good things. And so both of these two groups, his biological family, or his half-biological family, and the scribes, would naturally be expected to be in with Jesus' in crowd. But it isn't like that necessarily. Jesus isn't showing favoritism and, and all these things. Jesus is opening an, up an opportunity for anyone who is there. People in the room who are probably ex-demon-possessed, those who were sick, those who had made good choices in their story and in their lives, and also those who didn't. It wasn't about class or race or knowledge or any of those things. Social status. Jesus makes it about one thing. His invitation is about action. What are you going to do with what you've heard? And I'm going to read to you the, the way the message reads this closing because I think it's really written really well. Says Jesus responded, Who do you think you are, my mothers and brothers? Looking around, taking in everyone seated around him, he said, 
right here, right in front of you, my, are my mother and brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus was misunderstood. He was misunderstood in his day. He wasn't there for himself. He wasn't there for his own power and glory and fame. He wasn't there to have intellectual arguments and to, to prove that he was right. He was there for those that wanted to see him, to hear what he had to say, and to put into practice what he did communicate. He was there to show a people a new way to live, a new way to be human, a way to be different than what we see around us in the world that we live. So to follow Jesus, or to follow the way of Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to become, and honestly, to become like Jesus, we need to do the things that Jesus said. And so, in closing, I want to ask you, and I want to encourage you, Is Jesus speaking to you? Or maybe you've gotten hung up on something that's not the right thing. And I always tell you my litmus test for, for my own soul is are you becoming more, of, more and more a person of love? Because if you're not, Something is off. And so I want to encourage you to, to, to do those things, to take a look at your own soul, to look at your own life. But also to take a moment and to look at who Jesus is. To marvel at this man that would go and, and spend time with the marginalized in society. That he would give time to those that people did not think were worth his time. May we be in awe of who he is as we look at him. And may we understand who he is. That Jesus is after the heart and the individual much more than he is after the whole. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that your word speaks to us. And Lord, if there's those in this room, Lord, that, that need to start just simply with that invitation, realizing that you may be calling them, Lord, and they, they aren't sure how to respond, Lord, I pray that they would simply respond back with praying, Lord, here I am. May you speak to me. May they search you out in your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you, we don't need to do all these crazy things to become a part of your family, but that you simply welcome us in, regardless of where we've been or what we've done, that you graciously give us the opportunity to be with you and know you. So, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our stories. We just pray all this in Jesus' name.
We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Boise Community Church. To find more resources and information about Boise Community Church or to give to the mission of Boise Community Church, please visit us online at boisecommunitychurch.org. If you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the hope and joy of Jesus' love.